meet together and that um, put kind of a, a, a crimp on our, our normal giving. You know, usually we just drop stuff in our in our, our giving boxes at the back of our, our building. <clears throat> but I need to tell you guys, well done. We took a look at our finances for the year and our giving has been meeting our expenses. You guys have continued to give graciously and generously and in obedience to the Lord. And it, we're in the black. We are in the black in the middle of COVID doing this from our, our bedrooms and our living rooms. And so I just want to say, well done. Thank you guys. Thank you for your generosity. Um, the Lord is going to continue to use the Omaha Vineyard Church to reach our community, uh, to, to create disciples, send those guys out and um, make more disciples. Uh, the other praise is that we had our food pantry uh, this weekend. I don't know how the actual distribution of food went, but what I do know is that we put out a, a request for aid, and we had more people show up than our little space could uh, uh, maintain safely. <laughs> so uh, again, well done. Thank you for your generosity. And I'll tell you what, guys, that's what I want to talk about today. In our, in our, our, our message today, we're going to be talking about <clears throat> the Lord's generosity, and not just his generosity, but how he, oh boy, I got to find my notes here, how the kingdom of God is breaking in to our world and we, we've got an option. We've got an, we have an option of where we put our focus, right? I was thinking about um, this week, this week, I don't know if you've had a tough week, but this has been a, a, a kind of a, a tough week. And I was thinking about how, how much I was looking forward to taking my eyes off of the world, taking the, my eyes off of myself and focusing on the Lord uh, today as a community. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll jump into our, our, our message. Lord Jesus, thank you for that worship. Thank you for the reminder of who you are and what you are like. God, may we, may we have that just drilled into our heads and our hearts today through studying your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, let me find my notes again. Here we go. So, <clears throat> we have been looking at the real lives of the prophets of the Northern Kingdom. So, in the history of the nation of Israel, at a certain point there was a civil war, and the, the northern tribes got their own king, and the southern tribes got their own king. And we've been looking at the in the books of First and Second Kings at the lives of Elijah, the prophet of the Lord uh, to the nation of Israel, and then his protege Elisha, who takes over as the prophet of the Lord in the nation of Israel. And one of the things that we have noticed is that when when folks have a need. Because at the time, the Holy Spirit was not on everybody, they would go to the prophet because the Holy Spirit was on the prophet and he would be able to speak to the people on behalf of God. And um, one of the, the things that, Oh, shoot, I'm, I'm scatting and then I'm getting off of my notes here. Let's just go to the notes. We've been uh, looking at the lives and the ministries of Elijah and Elisha from the books of the First and Second Kings, where God speaks to and blesses the northern kingdom of Israel during their rebellion against him. Uh, the kings that we've read about briefly are outdoing one another in how much they're sinning against God than the previous king. And there are times when these prophets are dealing directly with the king, 
and then there are times when they're among the people or among the groups of other prophets. And last week we were introduced to a new character, Elisha's servant. Uh, I don't know if you want to pronounce it Gehazi, Gehazi. Uh, we'll see more of him today. And as we continue in our series, it'll become more clear that Gehazi is, as my commentary uh, puts it, carnal, which means that his priorities are, and his outlook are based on his own flesh rather than on the kingdom of God. And, and that's where... <clears throat> That's, that's where I am so full of longing and hope is that the kingdom of God is real, it's active, it's breaking in. And what we're going to see from Gehazi is that he doesn't see it. So today we're going to be looking in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, verses 38 through 44, that's the end of the chapter. And in my uh, New Living Translation, the heading uh, for this section is Miracles During a Famine. What hope and what joy we can have during our days when we, when we remember that our God performs miracles during a famine. And I remember, and now I can't, recall whether it was at the Vineyard Church or at a different church, but there was a time when we had a guest speaker and the guy talked about probortunity. When you face a problem, but rather than looking at it through our own eyes, the eyes of our flesh, we look at it through God's eyes and we look at it through the, the lens of the kingdom of God and, and we see that the problem is an opportunity a probortunity. And, uh, you know, one thing we got to ask is, what is our typical reaction to a lack of something? You know, famine is a lack of food. Uh, or what's our typical reaction to a result that we did not want? Or really anything that would be disappointing? And, and Paul tells us that we can rejoice when this happens. And I want to try and share this real quick. Here we go. Romans 5, verses uh, 3 through 5. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointments, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. That's good news. I gotta find my notes again. Got a lot of pages going on here. When we face problems and trials, do we rejoice? Uh, when I think about that, I, I, I can tell. It would take, you know what? I, I, I typed out, it takes a lot of maturity to lay down my anxiety and choose to rejoice. It, could, it also takes a lot of faith. And maybe even if you're not mature, you can have faith. Do we have enough maturity? Do we have enough faith? Does God still love us if we're immature, if we don't have faith? He does. Let's take a look at, at our scriptures. Uh, so we're in 2 Kings chapter 4, and uh, starting in verse 38. Lord Jesus, come now. Come now in our presence and make these words alive to our hearts. Amen. All right, here we go. So we're picking up right off of what we looked at last week. And for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. Um, so let's just read the, the verses. All right. Second Kings 4, 38. Elisha now returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. One day, as the group of prophets was seated before him, he said to his servant, Gehazi, 
put a large pot on the fire and make some stew for the rest of the group. One of the young men went out into the field to gather herbs and came back with a pocket full of wild gourds. He shredded them and put them into the pot without realizing they were poisonous. Some of the stew was served to the men, but after they had eaten a bite or two, they cried out, Man of God, there's poison in this stew! So they would not eat it. Elisha said, Bring me some flour. Then he threw it into the pot and said, Now it's all right. Go ahead and eat. And then it did not harm them. So we're going to take a break here. So the young man in this group of prophets did not know that the gourds were poisonous when he shredded them and put them in the pot. So imagine that scenario, right? Low on food, you find a way to kind of make it go farther, and then you realize, oh no, it's bad, it's poisonous. Um, <clears throat> for many years uh, at, at our church, we would have um, breakfast together on one Sunday of the month, and I can't remember if it was the first or the fourth, but I had signed up to bring biscuits and gravy, and the recipe called for, um, I guess it's lard. I, I think there's another way to put it, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, so we had some, we had a container of something, and I scooped it out, heating it up. I tasted, the lard was rancid. It was rancid. I, I couldn't use it. And I can't remember what I did, but I, I, I had to throw that whole batch out. Because it's it's not like, you know, picking undesirable toppings off of your pizza, right? You can't sift through the stew to remove the shredded gourd, right? So what does Elijah show? In the words of Paul in Romans 3, uh, 5, 3 through 5, he shows endurance, which leads to strength of character, which leads to hope. God dearly loves us, including Elisha, Gehazi, and the group of prophets. And he performs a miraculous purification. Elisha takes some flour and bam! Now the stew does not harm them. Elisha listened for that still small voice and God purified and was able to use what even that young man had gathered. Have you ever felt like you had nothing to contribute or you don't want to risk contributing something poisonous so you just stay out of everything? Remember that series that we went through several years ago on the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And we're talking about the safety of our gatherings to try speaking in tongues, try sharing prophetic words. If God will purify a stew that is poisoned with shredded gourd, he can also make your gifts and contributions a blessing. God is so good. Ready for another miracle? All right, we're going to continue on in uh, 2 Kings chapter 40, or 4, sorry. Uh, and this is just a couple of verses, 42 through 44, the end of the chapter. And here we go. One day, a man from Baal Shalashah brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. Elisha said, give it to the people so they can eat. What? His servant exclaimed, there's Gehazi again, feed a hundred people with only this? But Elisha repeated, give it to the people so they can eat, for this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat, and there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all, and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. So here is a, a clear picture of Elisha's servant looking at his circumstances based on his own world, based on math, uh, based on his own understanding. Feed 100 people with only this? But Elisha 
rather than being distressed by what he saw, which by human eyes was definitely not enough fresh grain and bread to feed 100 people, rather than being distressed, what did he do? He received knowledge from the Lord. And I love that phrase where he says, for this is what the Lord says. And there was plenty for everyone. Plus, there was some left over, just as the Lord had promised. What a good God. What a powerful miracle worker who dearly loves us. We when we face problems and trials on the front end, all we can see is the problem. But with maturity and faith, we can recognize that, just like, just like Paul said, let me see if I can share this again. You know, I feel like I'm getting all crazy here. Share. Now I gotta find my notes. With maturity, we can recognize that when we run into problems and trials, we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Therefore... We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. I'm kind of hopping around there. Elisha's servant only saw the problem. Elisha saw what the Lord was going to do. And the Lord purified the stew, and he fed a hundred people with twenty little little barley loaves and some fresh corn. God can take our gifts and do miracles with them. He can take our problems and trials and turn them into opportunities for rejoicing. Probortunity. Now, does that last, um, those last couple of verses remind you of any other story in the Bible? Maybe Jesus feeding 5,000 and 4,000 people. Uh, probably, and it, the way the Bible is recorded is 5,000 men, 4,000 men. So it's likely more like 20,000 or 16,000 people, including women and children. And you know what? Those miracles are recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew and Mark, there's there's this additional uh, piece that I think is significant as we remind ourselves how to respond to problems. So turn with me if you want uh, to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. Mark chapter 8, 13 through 21. So in Mark 8 verse 1, Jesus sees people, they've been following him, they're hungry, let's feed them, we don't have anything, what do you got? we got some loaves and fish, eh, make them sit down, we'll, we'll feed them all. So that happens, and then the Pharisees come to him, and they're like, uh, we don't like that you just did this because it's miraculous, so show us another sign to prove that you are the Son of God. He's like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna jump through your hoops. So anyway, that's that happens right before Mark eight thirteen. So he Jesus got back into the boat and left them the Pharisees, and they crossed to the other side of the lake. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, "Watch out! Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod." At this, begin, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. So they heard the word yeast and thought he was talking about physical bread. 
Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or even or, or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? And then he quotes from the Old Testament, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? So I wanted to, to understand what Jesus may have meant by where the yeast of the Pharisees inherit. So I, I, I found this explanation online. Christ may be referring to Herod and the Pharisees' contentment with Roman rule. Herod enjoyed political power because of Rome, and though many Jews wanted Rome overthrown, the Pharisees were basically fine with the Romans as long as Caesar allowed them to study the law in peace. However, the contentment with Rome governance does not fully capture what Jesus means by leaven or yeast. Unbelief in Christ is the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Unbelief motivated in part by fear of Roman reprisal against the Jews if Jesus were acclaimed as Messiah. But their unbelief was ultimately due to their hard hearts. That's the warning from Jesus. Here, here's the rest of that um, website quote. Let us be on guard against hardness of heart. We might fall into spiritual ruin if we harden against God's word even just a little bit. When we harden our hearts even just a little bit and refuse to obey God on what we might consider a minor matter, we introduce yeast into our lives that can spread into other areas. It's imperative, therefore, that we regularly repent for our disobedience and seek to obey the Lord in all of life. We should be striving for obedience in all matters, not just really big ones. <clears throat> so we have Gehazi, we have the disciples. We've got these examples. Remember a Goofus and Gallant? Anyone remember Highlights Magazine? So Goofus would be the one that was, you know, basically he was like a criminal. And then Gallant was this, you know, good Christian. Gehazi only sees the problem in his carnality or his unbelief. He does not see how one sack of grain and 20 barley loaves will feed 100 people. But then we see, we have the disciples who've just recently seen Jesus feed thousands of people with very little food. Like I mentioned, literally, Mark chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus feeds 4,000 men, and by verse 16, they're arguing about not having enough bread for the 13 of them. Jesus isn't worried about whether or not they have enough food. I'm going to ask the question, and I, I know the answer, because I know it's true for me. Do you find yourself losing faith and reacting to problems and trials with unbelief? I know I do. Jesus' warning to you and I is to not allow your heart to be hardened. And it only takes a little influence from others that don't believe. Do you rejoice at problems and trials? Do you proclaim proportunity? Are you asking to see with God's eyes and seeking to know what God is blessing and knocking to have the door open to you to have the Holy Spirit fill your heart with his love. When you face a famine, and whether you can't see how 
what you have will accomplish what you're called to do. And even when what you end up contributing seems to ruin what little there is to share, don't let your hearts be hardened. God, our God, performs miracles during the famine. God will bless and purify and multiply and create abundance to the point that there are baskets full of leftovers. That is who he is and what he does comes out of who he is. So what about us as a church? What about our community? When we face problems and trials as a church family, are we mature enough? We have enough faith to rejoice. We can. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says that we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For when we look beyond our flesh and instead from the vantage point of the kingdom of God, we know that these problems and trials help us to develop endurance. And I'm just going to keep quoting from Romans 5, 3 through 5. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we are tempted to see the problems that come our way from our own point of view, rather than God's point of view, May we remember Jesus' words, watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. We are a people of the kingdom of God. We take everything to the Lord in prayer. And not just for our benefit, because the world needs that hope as well. If we as a church of Christ look at problems and, and only see them from our point of view, what do we have to offer? Does that represent Jesus? Do we represent Jesus? The world needs hope. They need Jesus. And when they look at us, what do they see? Do they see us with hardened hearts? Or do they see us looking back at our history and, and taking God's promises, taking God at his word and his promises that his kingdom is, oh, how does he say, is at hand. His kingdom is at hand. And we can look at our trials and our problems from the vantage point of the kingdom. And we can recognize that these problems that we face are not going to affect our eternity. And, and what they do is they give us an opportunity to grow and rejoice and have our character strengthened and our hope strengthened. And one of the things I just want to say real quickly is that I'm so grateful for the board that our church has because I have seen them over and over again when our church faces a trial and a problem, turn to the Lord and, and seek his answers. And whether or not it makes any sense, if, if this is what God says, this is what we're going to do. So well done. Omaha Vineyard Church, please keep praying for us. <laughs> please keep praying for your board and for your leaders. Heavenly Father, 
thank you. Thank you for that your spirit is the same. Old Testament, New Testament, today. You are the same. You dearly love us. And you are at work. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. May we see through your eyes. May we hear what you are saying. May we step out in faith to face problems as a opportunity for your kingdom to come in, for your name to get all of the glory. And may we be receptive to your love for us. May we lean into you and become more like you. And may we point others to you. There is no name on heaven or earth greater than the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no name, no other name that salvation comes from. Make us a light to the nations. What was the, what were the, the, the lyrics from that, that last song? Heaven's light shine from us. Amen. Omaha Vineyard Church, let me pronounce this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen.